Indeed, our desire is to live our lives for the Prince of Peace, and we have given ourselves fully to Him, and He is to be the motivation for our daily walk. As we come to the close of 1 Timothy, Paul has laid a great weight upon his son in the faith and his son in the ministry. He has said to young Pastor Timothy that indeed he is to live a life of consequence as he flees the temptation of the world, as he fights the good fight of faith, as he fastens himself to the salvation afforded to him by the gospel and as he keeps the commandment of God until Jesus Christ the Lord returns for his bride, the church. And 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Paul unfolds for us a beautiful benediction of God's attributes as he reflects on the gospel as God's glorious grace and manifold mercy that has rescued him from a separated state of sinfulness to be a saint, a son of the Most High. Indeed, if you look there in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Paul says this, this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul just opens up his mouth and it just flows. I mean, he he just he's sitting there and he's speaking. And as he speaks to his young disciple, as he speaks to young Timothy, this pastor that that is battling in the midst of a difficult situation, he just opens up his mouth and it just flows out of him that God has given his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem sinners of whom I am the chief. And I am the foremost example that God is willing to save sinners and make them sons of God's saints of the Most High. Indeed, this is the same God, the eternal God, the immortal God, the invisible God, the only God. To Him be glory and honor and dominion. Don't you just in that moment feel inadequate? What do you say when you're asked to describe God? What do you say when you are asked to describe the gospel, to tell the story? How can I have a relationship with God? Can you open up your mouth and does it just roll off your tongue? Or are you often fidgety and fumbling and finding that those words just don't come and you're not exactly sure what you should say? Well, the reality is the character of our sovereign Savior God is the source by which we get the strength to give testimony. And the reality is we ought to be thinking much about Him, who He is and how He works and how He has saved us. We ought to understand that the character and the nature of this sovereign Savior God is the same source of strength and motivation for each and every man, woman, and child of God to flee the temptations of this world, to fight the good fight of faith, to indeed fast in himself or herself to the salvation found in the gospel and to keep God's commandments until Jesus Christ returns for his glorious bride, the church. That is the source. Understand, it is not yourself and it is not your desires. It is not your will that will hold you fast to God and give you the ability to answer those questions in the midst of the most difficult attacks that come in your life. The strength, the source is God. 
God Himself. And so as we come this morning, we need to understand the Apostle knew that the, indeed belief is reflected in behavior. What you believe about God reflects in how you behave. And how you behave reflects what you actually believe about God. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And yet you continue on in adultery and homosexuality and carousing, drunkenness and drug use. And you say, well, I do all those things during the week. But I come on Sunday morning and my heart is clean and my life is pure. No, it's not. Because listen, belief impacts behavior. Belief impacts behavior. You can't be a crook Monday through Saturday and come in here on Sunday and say everything's fine. You must make a connection. If your behavior has not been impacted by your belief in a sovereign God who will save you from your sins, then you need to consider again, am I saved? As we come today, we come and we think and need to, we need to be very clear. We are not saved because we behave. We are saved, we behave because we have been saved. And indeed, J.B. Phillips in 1961 decried the ineffectiveness and ineptitude of the Christian church in America when he simply commented, your God is too small. Your God is too small. Your God, in other words, is is a weak God, an impotent God. He is not able to do much. And because of the way that you live your life, we can see that your God is weak and small and inept. On the other hand, you show me a devoted life, an impactful life, a superior spiritual life, a life of great strength and effective ministry. And I'll show you one who represents a great and living God, a God that is bigger than this world could contain. A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, boldly stated the problem for American Christians when he said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so this morning I say to you the term God and I want to ask, what is it that comes to your mind? What is it that comes to your mind? If our minds are filled and flooded with nothing. Or nothing but ourselves then we need to check our hearts and return to God's Word to be filled and flooded with the amazing immensity and the awesome infinity of our great God who has saved us from our sins, is sustaining us in our day-to-day life and will fully and finally satisfy our souls when He returns in glory to call His church the bride to be with Him. What is it that consumes you in the moment when the Word God is said? you filled and flooded with nothing? Or maybe nothing but yourself? Then you need to turn your eyes again to the amazing immensity and the awesome infinity of our great God who has saved us from our sins, who is sustaining us moment by moment, and who will fully and finally satisfy our souls when He comes back. What flows from your lips? What fills your lips and what flows from your life? When we talk about God, I want you to grasp this in your mind. 
It is indeed very important because there was, there is, and there will forever be only one source of strength, only one source of help for the helpless and hope for the hopeless. And that source, that strength, that one being that can satisfy your soul and my soul is God himself. Confidence in God, understanding His character and nature, relying fully on Him, indeed lays the foundation of strength for every trial, tribulation, and trouble that we could ever face within this world. You've got problems in your life with others. You've got problems with others, maybe even in the church. You've got physical problems. You've got spiritual problems. You've got emotional problems. Listen, you can take them to God. He is the source of strength. He is the source of strength. This knowledge of the Almighty is the source of strength to sustain us through the darkest of days in our pursuit to live lives and impact our church and culture for God's glory. Indeed, our motivation in ministry and our motivation to spiritual duty is related to the nature of the God that we serve, the God that we are living under, the God who is sustaining us moment by moment. If we are going to have a lasting impact within this church and within this culture for God and His eternal kingdom, we must be gripped by the fact that God God is the motivator of all of our ministries. And if he is not, we are ministering in vain. We are laboring in vain. We must have God as central and core, the motivator for each and every one of our ministries. The motivation for the man of God is to be nothing other than God himself. It flows from him. It begins with him and it ends with God and God alone. Let us take our Bibles this morning and let us see the motivation and the character and nature of this great God whom we serve in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. Let's stand and honor this, the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 through 16 says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign The King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He who is blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can ever see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. Father, we thank You now that You are in control, that You are sovereign, that You are supreme. Lord, teach us what that means. And Lord, let us live in that reality day by day. Father, let it flow from our lips and fill our lives so that your glory might go forward in the midst of this world, in the midst of this church, in the midst of this community, so that many might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and lean upon him as the source of their true salvation. And Father, lean upon you day by day 
as a source of strength for each and everything that we face. Lord, may you lead us and guide us now. May you direct our paths as we study this, your word. And Father, may your Holy Spirit give us wisdom to understand and apply it into our hearts and lives today so that we might go out differently than we came in. Father, we ask now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, we see the awareness of God's sovereignty, sovereign supremacy will motivate us, will motivate us to a life of integrity, uh, integrity in the ministries he has entrusted to us. The awareness of God's sovereign supremacy will motivate us to a life of integrity in the ministries he has entrusted to us. In other words, when we go about, set about the task of, of facilitating the flow of the gospel by fulfilling the Great Commission through the making of the disciples in the context of the local church, we are going to be people who know the sovereign supremacy of our great God and testify to it with a life of integrity within the ministries that he has entrusted to us. Paul mentions of God mentions here, uh, God, the father, and he just erupts in praise. It just fills his lips and flows forth into his life as he begins to contemplate the fact that God has set the appointed time and day for Jesus's return. He must lift his voice and praise to God as he thinks on who God is, how he has acted and what he is going to do. Indeed, each phrase within verses 15 and 16 that describe the nature and character of God expresses the timeless, the transcendent and the incomparable greatness of our God. And so let us hear and heed the deep and abiding truths of of the great God we serve as we lift our hearts in praise to him with through our study this morning as we first come to this passage we understand that first of all God is blessed God is blessed he who is blessed that's the title that Paul begins with in this passage. He begins by describing the nature and character of God, but with a term that means happy, content, and fulfilled. Happy, content, and fulfilled. This means that he is perfect and sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need anything else to satisfy him. He is satisfaction and joy. Those characteristics, satisfaction and joy, are inherent in God's nature. He didn't create the universe or the human race to fulfill some lack in himself. He wasn't sitting up there going, I'm bored or I'm lonely. I need something else. He created us in his image for his glory. But understand, God was perfectly happy, perfectly content, perfectly satisfied in and of himself without you and me. God also, by being blessed, blessed is not frustrated or unhappy with the way history is going. Sometimes we think of God when we say, well, you know, he he is this or he is that. He's got to be amazingly mad. Uh, indeed, we need to understand God did not set the world in order and step back and say, well, we'll just see how things work out. And I hope they figure out everything on their own. No, God is intricately involved. He is in control. And those scripture clearly points out and pictures God as displeased with human disobedience and rebellion. Nothing we can do uh, can ever disturb the deep, abiding, settled blessedness that God has in and of Himself. He 
who is blessed. He who is blessed. The blessed God is indeed for us the only source of true blessing and joy for his creatures. As Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, we can only know true happiness when we are rightly related to God who possesses such blessedness infinitely in and of himself. We may find fleeting happiness in relationships or things of this world. We may look for satisfaction in the stuff of this world, but we can never be fully and finally satisfied by anything within this world. We are only satisfied when we know him who is the blessed one. We may may indeed see and perceive passing pleasure in art and beauty and food and nature in marriage, but true and Lasting satisfaction can only be found in God and in God himself who is blessed. Some of you are looking under every rock, under every crevice. You're looking up and down every dead end road around Goldsboro, trying to find happiness, trying to find satisfaction, trying to have hope, trying to find joy. And you will never find it. Why? For the same reason when you push back after Thanksgiving dinner and you say what? You say, oh man, I'm so full, I'll never be hungry again, right? What happens two hours later while you're watching the football game? Go back and get a turkey sandwich, why? Why? Because you can't be fully and finally satisfied by the things of this world. The only one who can ever fully and finally satisfy you is the one who is blessed in and of himself. The one who is the creator, the mover, the maker of all of creation. The one who knows joy, happiness and completeness of himself. Only when we turn to him by faith and live by faith in Jesus Christ and have a relationship with the one who is blessed can we know blessedness, calmness, and happiness. They can't be swayed. Indeed, those who come to Christ by faith cannot be swayed by the shifting sands of this world for their faith has been fixed on nothing less than Jesus Christ, the one who is the solid rock. And so we sing that great hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground. Is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When you need one who is blessed. When you need to know happiness, joy, contentment, satisfaction in and of yourself, outside of yourself, the only place to turn is to the one who is blessed. For no matter what the persecution, opposition, trials, and tribulations of life are within your current experience, the Christian can be at peace. Our peace is not based on our external circumstances within this world, but our peace is based on the eternal assurance that our God is in control. So I don't worry about the external stuff, the external circumstances, because I have an eternal assurance that my God is blessed. He is happy, joyful, satisfied in and of himself. And because I am in him, I too am happy, joy, 
joyful and satisfied. Listen, I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one who holds tomorrow. And I can live satisfied in Him. Believers in Christ are blessed because we are in union with God who is blessed. Secondly, God is the only sovereign. He is the only sovereign. God is the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because He alone is God. He is the only one who has created the universe by His grace and for His glory. There is no other being that exists who is able to create or to control a universe. Indeed, if you were able to create it and control it where is it can you do that when was the last time you said something that said about to invent something that wasn't there and i'm not talking about taking resources that are already in existence i'm talking about just speaking things into existence you haven't done it why because you can't do it You can't do it and I can't do it. Only God, He is the only one who spoke into nothing and created everything. The Greek word here is dunastes, which from, which implies power. It, it refers to the inherent power of potentates to carry out their plans and their purposes. In other words, these are men who say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy my power, accomplish my purposes. And yet Paul is fighting here the thought of emperor worship when he comes and says, our God is the only powerful potentate who can do anything. There's no other God. There's no other person. There's no other being in the universe that has the power to create. God delegates, and yet God graciously delegates authority to earthly kings as He wishes, but they are nothing in His sight, for He can dispose of them just like we dispose of an ant off our arm by flicking them away. The God who is all-powerful is able to control Every detail. And so He is the King of those who are kinging. And He is the Lord of those who are lording. We see this in the Old Testament when the proud Nebuchadnezzar ruled over the greatest kingdom on earth. But God humbled him like a beast of the field so that he might learn that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. God is the only sovereign. For when God graciously restored Nebuchadnezzar to his throne, remember what Nebuchadnezzar tells us in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. He says, I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him what have you done and yet we do it all the time don't we god i wish my life was different god why am i going through these things God, what in the world are you thinking? Isn't there another way that we can do this? God, why in the world do I have to be in the situation and the circumstance that I am facing? And yet, when we read the words of Scripture and we see that God is sovereign, He is the powerful potentate that acts according to His pleasure and His purposes, we can live confidently saying, you know what, this isn't the way I would have planned it out. This isn't the blueprints I would have gone with. But you know what, God is right on time he's brought me exactly where i need to be to do exactly what he wants done 
As creatures, we can only look to the Creator and know, only look to the Creator and surrender ourselves to His sovereignty when we humble ourselves under His sovereign, the sovereign hand of Almighty God. Indeed, He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And here in this passage, that title is being ascribed to God the Father, but it is also the title that God the Father ascribes to Jesus Christ His Son in His second coming, which proves His deity both in uh, Philippians chapter 2 as well as Revelation chapter 17, 14 and chapter 19, verse 16 in Revelation that, ter- that term King of Kings and Lord of Lords is given to Jesus Christ and so we understand that Jesus Christ in, in, indeed is the powerful potentate of the universe He is God alone and it would be utter blasphemy for a mere creature to share this exalted title with the the only sovereign of the universe. Therefore, any teaching that would ever diminish the supreme sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ is from the devil. It is utter heresy and its goal has always been to overthrow the sovereignty of the triune God that we worship in spirit and in truth. So let me make it very clear to you here today. There is only one power within this world who has created, who is saving, who is sustaining the midst of all of creation. And that is Yahweh, the king that has revealed himself within the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And he is the sovereign God. He is conceived, created and cares for all of the universe. And in Isaiah chapter 43, 13, that same God looks and he says, I act and who can reverse it? I act and who can reverse it? Can you reverse the acts of God? See, we like to live like we're in control of all things, don't we? Ladies, go ahead and nod your head like this because, you know, you like to make sure that everything is exactly where you planned it. Exactly where you purposed it. Understand, when we come to passages like this, we see that indeed we are small. We are seemingly insignificant in the course of things because we don't have control. See, we like to say we're in control until the winter storms hit and confine us to our house. Until the floods come and they sweep away all our stuff. Until the tornadoes come and twist up all of the things that we have claimed control of within this world. And at those moments, when those dark moments of despair come, we are confronted with just how small and just how significant we are, insignificant we are, because we can't stop any of those things, can we? Only God is in control of those. And we are not sovereign supervisors as we once thought, but rather we are stranded servants that need a sovereign Savior and sustainer. And understanding and unrelenting faith in the sovereignty of God is one of the most comforting and encouraging doctrines within all the text of Christian Scripture, for it removes anxiety from our lives. It builds our confidence and it stabilizes our shiftiness because we trust in God and not in ourselves. Isaiah 4 46 verse 11, God simply speaks and says, truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Isn't that great confidence? God says, it's mine. You don't worry about this. I've got it. I have planned it. I have purposed it. I will oversee its completion. 
What a great and glorious God we serve. Indeed, we do not need to worry about our life. We do not need to compromise our principles. We do not need to equivocate on the gospel. And we do not need to manipulate the minds of men because God is sovereign. He is in control. Indeed, we understand within this context that God alone is the sovereign. God is the only sovereign, the only self-actor within the universe. Nextly, we see God is the only immortal. Verse 16, he continues, who alone possesses immortality. He alone possesses immortality. The Greek term here is Athanasia. That is a term that means no death, literally without death. God was, is, and forever will be. We don't understand that. We can't contemplate that because we are just merely passing through. We are here for a moment. We are but breath. We are but vapor. But God is eternal. In Psalm 36, verse 9, the psalmist says, For with you is the fountain of life. Isaiah called Yahweh, the everlasting God. Moses said of of God in Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 describes Jesus, the Messiah, as eternal offering proof of his deity. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 21 and 26, the Father has life in himself and gives it to whomever he wishes. And Jesus not only said that about the Father, but He claimed that same divinity, that same ability for Himself. We need to understand we live in a society of proud men. Men who exalt themselves. Men who are always wanting everybody to look at them. I mean, my seven-month-old thinks the world revolves around him. And quite truthfully, at times, we're tempted to let it. We're tempted to let it. But understand, we live in a culture where everybody likes to make things about themselves, to make themselves the center of the universe. And they, we tend to think that somehow we give ourselves value, we give ourselves meaning, and even at times we can bring ourselves to think that we give ourselves life. But the reality is that's not true. For indeed, man will face his maker, the one who has given life to all things, and he will have to answer. Have you ever heard anybody in our culture ever say, well, you know, I'm just too young to die? You ever thought about that for any length of time? I mean, I I remember the stupid things that I did as a young man. I mean... I would go into great detail, but I'll just gloss over them at this point so that none of you young men will ever go out and do them. But understand, I mean, I remember jumping off of waterfalls, picking up rattlesnakes. Yes, not very smart. Don't go do it. Uh, Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, is, I am convinced, uh, one of the greatest evils that it was ever put upon uh, the American culture because he showed us, you know, just pick up all these deadly animals. Come on, how stupid. And so, the, you know, the 18-year-old watches that and goes out and says, I'm too young to die. I'm going to pick them up. Driving 90 miles an hour on the road or doing something of that nature, I, you would never do that, I'm sure. But we do all these things and we live as if we are immortal. But the reality is we are not. We are mortal. 
God sends an invisible virus or microbe and lays even the strongest men in the dust to decay. The mighty Alexander the Great conquered the world, but died in his early 30s in the midst of a drunken stupor with a raging fever. Indeed, we must understand the death rate is 100% for all of those in our culture, is it not? Every one of us is mortal. We live and we die, but the words of Scripture tell us that it is appointed to man, what? Once to die and then the judgment. You're not immortal. Only God is immortal. But He gives to you the life that is to be lived for Him. And the man of God finds great comfort that the God that has revealed Himself so clearly in the Bible is above history and outside of time. That He is immortal in nature for no matter what happens in the Christian's temporary and fleeting life here within this world, the eternal, the deathless one is there to support Him, to bring Him to Himself. Only God is immortal and only God can sustain those who are living in the midst of this mortal life. As we come to the final point, God is unapproachable in holiness. God is unapproachable in holiness. It says, He dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can ever see. This refers to the splendor of God's inherent glory and especially to His unapproachable holiness. God is transcendent. He is totally beyond us in every way, shape, matter, and form. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 104 verses 1 and 2, Blessed, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering Yourself with light as with a cloak stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. Moses over in Exodus chapter 33 verses 19 verses 19 18 through 20 asked if he could see God's glory. And when he asked God to show him his glory, God responded in verse 19 and said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. No man can see me and live. What in the world are we to make of this? Well, the writer of Hebrews Put it this way, our God is a consuming fire. See, the imagery of God as a blazing light expresses His holiness, His perfectness, His purity that none of us could ever approach in and of ourselves. For He lives and reigns in absolute holiness and purity that none of us could ever approach or approximate. No sinful human being being could ever even dare to draw near to God apart from His grace in Jesus Christ any more than we could dare to put a man on the sun because he would instantly be consumed. Yesterday I sat out in the sun for about 35 minutes and my head roasted. It was consumed with the fire, the brightness, the the impact of the heat shining down from the sun. How much more, how much greater, how much brighter is our God? And He dwells in perfect holiness, perfect purity. We can't even look for a split second at Him And see His glory without dying. Even so, God is glory. Is splendor. He is 
light. God is spirit. In John chapter 4, verse 24, we are told that God is spirit. And contrary to the shack which says that God is some old woman sitting in a shack somewhere and talking to people, God the Father does not have a visible form. He is not visible to people, for He is spirit. And therefore we worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He cannot be apprehended by our finite human senses. We can never come to know such a great and mighty being through our own reason or our own willpower or our own human ability. But God saw fit to reveal himself for to us in scripture and in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Indeed, how can we ever know a perfect God, a pure God, a holy God? How can we ever approach or come before a God who is this perfect and this beautiful and this radiant? How could we ever have standing in his presence? The only way is to know Jesus Christ, his son, who has come full of the glory of God. Letting us behold the visible side of the invisible God. See, God was perfect and pure in every way. He created all things for his glory and he created man in his image. He created us to live in a perfect and pure relationship with himself. He gave us commands to follow. He spoke words that we were to obey. And yet each Adam and Eve chose to go after the fruit instead of obeying and surrendering themselves fully to God and to his commands. And ever since they disobeyed God and were cast out of the Garden of Eden, man, each and every one of us has rejected and reviled God's commands. And we have been unable to approach him or approximate him in any way. But God gave Jesus Christ as a sacrificial substitute for your sins. He died on the cross as a common criminal so that he might pay the penalty and break the power of sin in your life and in my life. He was he died on that cross. He was buried in that grave. But praise God on the third day, he rose up with glorious power, stepped out of the grave And overcame sin, death, and the grave. So that all those who would repent of their sins. And place their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. Then would be sons and daughters of the Most High. Who would be able to approach God. Because they are now righteous in Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin be sin for you. So that you and I and him might be the righteousness of God. And that's the gospel. God is holy. We are not. Because we are not, there must be something done to make us holy. What God has done is what you and I can never do. He gave His Son to fulfill completely the requirements of the law. And then He laid down His life as a sacrificial substitute in your place and in my place so that we, if we would repent of our sins and place our faith in Him, might become sons and daughters of the Most High. Listen, we can't even come to know this sovereign, immortal, unapproachably holy God and and invisible God unless the Lord Jesus Himself reveals God to us. Because He has come and done that, we praise God with the same words that Paul did. To Him be honor. To Him be eternal dominion. Amen.
Indeed, if we maintain an awareness of sovereign, the sovereign supremacy of our God, we can also maintain our integrity as men and women of God, even when we face the darkest, darkest days of despair and difficulties, even when our lives are filled with trials, tribulations, and troubles. God is able to fill our lips and to flow through our lives if we will give Him all control of ourselves. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What is it that comes to your mind? Who is God to you? Is He your Creator, your Redeemer, your Savior, your Sustainer, the Blessed One, the the Sovereign One, the Immortal One, the Holy One? If we understand God to be who He is, we can understand that there is great encouragement in the words of Hebrews 13.6 when He says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my Helper. Yes, the Lord, the One who is the Creator, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Sustainer, the Blessed One, the Sovereign One, the Immortal One, the Holy One, the Lord is my helper. Then I, he says, I will not fear what man may do to me. Let me ask you today. Are you fearful of what man may do to you? Are you fearful about the situations and circumstances, the external situations and circumstances of your life? Then come and cast yourself unreservedly upon the one who is the blessed God, the one who is the immortal God, the one who is the sovereign God, the one who is the holy God, the one who has extended to you salvation and sonship through Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord. Come and lay your life down. You won't be disappointed as He picks it up and lifts through you. Will you let the praises of God fill your lips and flow through your life as you live out of the motivation to serve the great and glorious God who has revealed Himself in the Bible and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask this morning that you would lead us and guide us in this time of decision. May you show us our sins. May you show us your Savior. And Father, in the midst of this time, may we cast ourselves not upon what we are able to do, not upon the accomplishments that we can achieve in and of ourselves, but may we cast ourselves unreservedly upon Jesus Christ and surrender moment by moment each and every day to you. The one who is blessed, the one who is sovereign, the one who is immortal, and the one who is holy. God, may you take our lives and live through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to our time of decision.